Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, 22 through 31 will be our text this morning. Religion has a bad reputation today. It's blamed for all sorts of things. Violence, wars, power struggles, abuse, both spiritual and sexual, and of course, possibly the biggest one today, the biggest thing that religion is blamed for is intolerance. On the flip side, spirituality is seeing a resurgence. Spirituality is seen as good. If if you've ever had conversations with people about things of the heart, you may have heard somebody say, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. I've had a number of people tell me this over the past five or ten years. And the reason for that statement comes down to the fact that religion, especially organized religion, is seen so negatively compared with spirituality. Spirituality is inclusive. Religion is exclusive. Spirituality is freeing. Religion enslaves people to their fears. If you've ever heard somebody described as very religious, you'll know that it's not really a compliment. Uh, It's not necessarily an insult, but it's more an explanatory statement of, there's a reason why this person is weird. They're very religious. Or, just so you know what you're getting into, this person is very religious. It kind of goes along with saying, bless his soul. Bless his heart. He's very religious. He means well, but he's deluded. In our text today, the Apostle Paul calls the men of Athens very religious. Now, of course, at that time, in that place, calling somebody very religious does not have the same exact connotations that calling somebody very religious does today in America, right? Different time, different place. Even if you go back 50 years ago in the United States and said that somebody was very religious, that would be a very different thing. It would be much more positive, much more of a compliment than it is today. So we see how these things change as time and location changes. But... For Paul to call the men of Athens very religious was in some ways very similar to saying it today. At that time, it was uh, was a very spiritual, a very spiritual age. But religion could mean overly fearful. Religion had a connotation of superstition. The positive side of religion at that time, or being religious, was that it meant devout. And I think that that's also similar when people say he's very religious and and don't mean it as an insult. That, that devotion 
is on the positive side of the balance. Devotion to what you believe, that, that you're committed to something greater than yourself, and that's seen as a positive thing. So there is a lot of similarity, especially in the city of Athens, especially on Mars Hill, which is where our passage takes place. The men of Athens were very philosophical. They, th- they saw themselves ultimately as above religion, as sitting in judgment on religion. The people who actually believed in the gods were seen as, you know, superstitious, foolish, ignorant, hoi polloi. You just didn't want to be totally disconnected from religion. And so, in that sense, you would want to be spiritual. So again, a lot of similarities between us today in America and between and, and the Athenians at the time that Paul is in their city. And what I want us to notice this morning is that Paul sees how religious the Athenians are simply by walking around their city. Simply by opening his eyes and walking around for a little bit, he sees what they are committed to, what they are devoted to. He sees that they are very religious, and that in spite of the fact that they would claim to be mostly above religion. I want us to be able to do this ourselves as we walk around, as we see the people around us, to have our eyes open while we are living in our culture, living in our city, spending time in Cincinnati. Are the people of Cincinnati very religious? It's easy to get used to what we see every day and then to start ignoring it. Perhaps you've had it happen with something that you see every day and then one day all of a sudden you look at it and it's like you're seeing it with new eyes. You notice things about it that you've never noticed before. Or you're you're reading and you look down and or you're writing and you look down and you see a word that you wrote and you think, I have no idea if that's how you spell that. (laughs) Is that the word that I'm trying is that it's a it's a simple word like from. It just suddenly looks wrong to you. You know, you you get you've you've all probably had this kind of experience where Suddenly, oh, wait a minute. I've taken that for granted for so long that I've almost forgotten what it's like. I've almost forgotten the core of how to spell the word from. You know, F-R-O-M. Is that really how you spell that? We, we get so used to it. We're so used to ignoring it that then when suddenly it catches our eye again, it's, it's shocking. Oh. Oh, that's different. Oh, I, I forgot what that was actually like. When we walk around in Cincinnati, when we look at the people around us, we ought to remember and see and not have forgotten and begin to ignore the fact that they are very religious. And just like Paul walking around in Athens, the signs are everywhere. Whether we recognize them 
or not, whether we have forgotten them or not, whether we've begun to ignore them or not. And today I want us to both see and recognize the religion, the religiosity that is all around us. So let's stand for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are always worshiping. Always worshiping. The Athenians were very religious. What does that mean? It means that they were always worshiping. And today, when people say that they are religious, I mean spiritual, but not religious, or when people have a negative attitude towards religion, towards organized religion, I think often what they mean is that they do not worship. But when you look around, you see the evidence of worship everywhere you turn. Just as Paul looked around the city of Athens and saw idols on every corner... So if we open our eyes, we can see idols on every corner. And how can you tell that there are idols all around? Well, typically, when people are devoted, when people are devout, in their practices, you have found something that is being worshipped. Something that is an object of devotion is generally an object of worship. And so the Athenians were devout in their various worship practices, And we in the Midwest of America, in the city of 
Cincinnati, whether down in the Roman Catholic areas or up in the more Protestant areas, regardless of where you look, whether in the poor areas or the rich areas, whether east or west, north of the river or south of the river, there's a little bit of variation, but generally you see the same sorts of idols being worshipped everywhere you look. Everywhere you look, you see people who are very devout in their worship practices. Now, what sorts of worship practices do I mean? What exactly are the gods that people are worshiping today? Because when you go back and and you think about walking through Athens and you think about uh, on the street corners there being a little fountain, right? And then a, a statue, maybe of Zeus or maybe of... Athena, any of the many, many gods that, that they had found. We, we, think, we tend to think that we're far beyond that, both as Christians and as a culture. How is it that people could worship images of stone, wood, things that they had formed with their own hands. We feel very superior when we think of the people walking around in in Athens. We think of the, the insanity of them being devoted to those things. But then I say that we are always worshiping and you think, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard that before. I've, I, I, I know, I remember Piper saying that, right? I, I think I've heard Wilson say that too. I mean, if they're in agreement, then surely we're on, we're on solid ground. Calvin says something like that. Or Luther too. You may have heard the quote, our hearts are idol-making factories. That goes back about 500 years to the Reformers. So, you think of your neighbor, think of your co-worker, think of somebody that doesn't go to church, and ask yourself, are they actually worshiping? Because it's easy to get on board with this big picture idea that we are worshipers in our hearts. We've been made to worship. But it's, but it's sometimes much more difficult to get on board with the idea that people who deny that they're worshipers are actually worshiping. Not just worshipers. It's, it's one thing to say, you know, he's a trash collector. It's another thing to see him collecting trash, right? You can believe it and, and sort of put it out of your mind and be like, but he's dressed so nicely. He doesn't stink, you know? <laughs> he must not actually do it. He, he probably runs the business or something. This is the same that we can do with worshiping. We can say, oh, yes, you're a worshiper, you're a worshiper, you're a worshiper, you're a worshiper. Everybody's worshipers. But have you ever seen anybody actually worshiping? Well, when we open our eyes, we see the evidence around us, we ought to see that people are worshiping. And if they're worshiping, we ought to be able to figure out what they are worshiping. Now, when you you read Paul saying that as he walked around the city, he saw something, what was it that he saw, kids? Did you notice? What's that? Yeah, an altar to the unknown God. 
but he, he was passing through and examining the objects of their worship. The objects of their worship. So this gives us a clue that, that worship has objects that go along with it, right? And then he makes it to that altar, Liam, good job, that altar to the unknown God, right? Again, there are objects connected with worship. So if people are worshiping today, but they think that they're above worshiping, this is when they will say that they are spiritual. Now, not everybody that, uh, everybody that denies religion says that they're spiritual, but an awful lot of people want to get rid of religion while remaining spiritual. Because there's something seen that's positive about spirituality. It acknowledges the fact that we are greater than simply bodies. Right? Now this gets at the core of being able to decode the reality that's changed between that time in Athens and now. At that time in Athens, everybody looked at these idols and we think, well, how absurd that they could worship something of stone, something of wood. But they at that time understood that there was something more than just the physical. They were spiritual people. They realized that there is something more to this life, this body, this earth, this wood, this gold, than simply the physicality of it. they recognized that there was something beyond just their body. They believed that they had spirits. Now, why does this matter? Well, because today we've sort of flipped that on its head, and we think that There is nothing to this world except the physical. All of of modern science is based on this presupposition that there is nothing beyond the physical. Right? The, 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 The basic assumption that you start with is, okay, Assume that there's no such thing as magic, right? Well, it sounds like a good assumption, right? Okay, assume that there's no such thing as a God who is active in the world. Assume that there is no such thing as spiritual powers. Assume that there is only what we can physically see, taste, touch, observe, measure in this physical world. And what that's left us with as a nation is an emptiness of spirituality, a dearth of spirituality, a great lack of, and feeling that there is something missing because when you assume and are required to assume constantly that there is nothing but the physical, but you are not just a body, and you feel deep in you that there is more to you than just your body, right? Then then you have this need, and it begins to break out. And it begins to break out into trying to find deeper meaning, trying to find some, some outlet for your spirituality. <laughs> so are, 
Are the people around us spiritual? Yes, in the most objective, literal sense of the word. They are spiritual. They are more than simply bodies. They have souls. So the people of Athens worshipped. They worshipped because they recognized there was more to this life than simply their body. Of course, even at that time, there were those various philosophies popping up that said, all that we are is a body, right? But generally speaking, the people at that time recognized the spiritual world as real. As just as real, in fact, as the physical reality that we could interact with directly, with our hands. And so, when they went to the temple to worship, yes, they worshipped, in a sense, gold, silver, things made by human hands, but they were not divorcing that from a deeper spiritual, religious reality. They understood that when they went to the temple of Zeus to worship, for example, Zeus was connected with more than simply an idol or a temple. Do any of you kids know what Zeus was. He was the god of... Yeah. Storms? Ben? Liam? Sky? Ben? The king of the gods? Yeah? We got a, we got a big kid answering back there. What's that? Thunder going along with storms. See, now we get, we get real confused today because we've got, both the, we've got the Greek and the Roman versions of all the gods, and, and they, they're generally the same, but then they, they have some overlap and stuff. Okay, what about Poseidon? Yeah. God of the ocean and storms and thunder and lightning, Right? Now, why would you bother worshipping Poseidon, for example? Yeah. Because you wanted safe passage when you were going on a trip, right? In other words, you're bringing the spiritual and the physical together and you're saying, I want something in this life and I'm going to seek a way that I can... I can get that, and you can call it superstitious today, right? As though though, uh, giving something to a golden idol would, would accomplish making a spiritual entity happy that had power then to give you what you wanted here on earth. Okay, so in that sense, we have moved on as a culture. We have evolved. We have progressed, right? But we've progressed right out of that absurdity. And it is an absurdity because all the gods of the nations are simply idols, right? But the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So, yeah, it's an absurdity. It's superstitious. But we've progressed right out of that and right into something that's just as religious, just as spiritual, and just as... Absurd. We've progressed into pretending like we aren't worshiping, and we've progressed into pretending like there isn't a God, that there's no spiritual things, while still feeling deeply within us that we, we are spiritual, <laughs> and therefore looking for an outlet of that spirituality. Now, taking that as 
the context, recognizing that things have changed and beginning to see a little bit how they have changed, think about the people around you, think about your own life, your own temptations, and ask yourself, where are people worshiping today? What are the objects of their devotion? Where is it that they go when they are worried and seeking to get something in this life? Does does it surprise us that people are still worried about safe passage and travels today? No, that's still a thing, right? Would it, would it surprise you for me to say that there was a, there, there was, there was this whole, there was this whole part of religion that had to do with love? Gods and goddesses of love? Oh, and of fertility. Is that still a concern today? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely still a concern today, right? Relationships. So, think about the concerns that people have today. Go back a couple of thousand years to the time in Athens and recognize that an awful lot of the concerns are the basic human condition. Friends. Enemies, love, hate, war, peace, traveling, planting, money, all of these things are still very much alive and well today, still part of the basic human condition and will be forever. So are people today worshiping? Are people today devout in their worship practices? What is it that we look to to get us the things we want today? There are many places that you can go to see worship. What is happening at the gym today? People are exercising, right? It's the new year. Everybody's made a New Year's resolution. They're going to exercise, right? Okay, so what is is their resolution? Their resolution is, I am going to be devoted to this this year. I am going to make sure that I exercise. Why? Why? Oh, because we want to be healthy, right? But is that is that all that's going on here? Is that all that's going on here? Is it about being healthy or is it about looking good? Well, both, right? Is it about being healthy or is it about having a long life? Now, you begin to see how this connects to religion, right? To spirituality. The concerns of our life. And so we and so we have come to the conclusion that there are things that things that we can do in the here and now to get us the things that we care about. And that's precisely what they thought. 
make a sacrifice to the right God, have a safe trip. Make another sacrifice to the other right God, have a good harvest. Are people who worship the gods set up at Facebook devout? How devout are they? How many daily users? That's pretty devout, right? Now, you say, yeah, well, sure. I mean, that, I mean, people are on Facebook every day, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes multiple times per hour. That's devout. But what does that have to do with worship? Why do you say the gods that have been set up at Facebook? Well, what gods have been set up at Facebook? What does Facebook promise us? What does it promise to fulfill? What felt need is it that we have that we're getting met in Facebook? Have you guys thought about this before? I mean, I could, I could move on. Am I making... Am I making you uncomfortable? We could, we could switch to Instagram if you want. Oh, that's owned by Facebook. Let's at least find something not owned by Facebook. What do you think? Are there gods? Is there worship going on with that level of devotion? I can see that you are a very devout people, is what Paul would say. I can see that you're a very devout people. For I walk around the city and nobody is outside, but everybody is on Facebook. (laughs) You walk around the city and what do you see? You see people giving themselves to, interestingly enough, the hearing and telling of something new, which is also what he says about the Athenians or what Luke says about the Athenians, right? What is it that is being worshipped at the altar of Facebook? Well, I think one of the most, one of the biggest gods, one of the most important gods that you see in Facebook is the worship of Influence. And then the worship of popularity, which is very closely connected with influence. Popularity and influence. Now, how do you know? Why would I, why would I make that case? Well, because... You only have to look and see what things you get notified about. Those are the things that you care about. The things that are psychologically exciting enough to you that Facebook knows to bother letting you know about them. And what are the things that the little red dot shows up for? What do you get notified for? Well, when there's a friend request adding to your popularity, right? Or when your posts get reactions demonstrating your influence. Responses. How many times do you get notified? I mean, it's funny to even ask. Like, Does Facebook notify you 
that random person A that you've never met and aren't friends with on Facebook liked random person B that you've never met and are friends with on Facebook? Of course not. It's absurd to even ask, right? Why would they notify you about that? You don't care. Why? Because what you do care about is you. You care about when they reacted to your picture. Not some other schmuck's picture. Your picture. That's what matters here. And so they notify you, and it seems very natural, right? I mean, of course they would do that because that, I mean, it's obvious. But what's, but what should be obvious to us at this point is that there is, there is great devotion going on here and that there is, there is great worship happening here. Are people who worship the gods set up in the fashion mall devoted worshipers? And what exactly are the gods that they're worshiping? Every season of every year, there has to be the latest clothes, the latest fashion, the latest colors, the latest accoutrements. I don't think that's what they're called. Accessories. Why? Our image. Our image is what we care about. What about those who worship at the altar of tolerance? Are they devoted to the God of tolerance? Yes. They promote their God's agenda aggressively with devotion. Why? Because they think that it will bring them benefit. What benefit do they think that tolerance will give? They think that tolerance is the answer to all of the world's problems. That by by having tolerance, we're going to solve society's problems, and we'll be able to live in peace and quiet, right? And we're told to pray to God for the rulers so that we can live in peace and quiet, obeying him. But they say the the only way to actually get that kind of peace is for us to worship tolerance, There is worship everywhere you look. There's worship of scientific progress. There's worship of humanity. And not surprisingly, there is an abundance of worship of the human body. And this is what you, this is what you begin to notice and see if you look at the gym, everywhere you look, there's pictures of people who are beautiful, right? Strong. As a matter of fact, we call it having a Greek physique, right? Why? Because the Greeks knew what beauty there was in the human body and made beautiful statues, not of ugly people, but of beautiful people. Right? And so, ask yourself, why, what is it? Is it ESPN's? Yeah. Is it ESPN's body edition? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah. Magazine that's just pictures of human bodies. Right? 
with everything removed so it's not in the way. Why? So that we can worship the physique, so that we can worship the image of man. And you say, well, how is that? Isn't that just pornography? How is that different from pornography? And I say, interesting that you should bring that up. Because although lust is the central sin that we associate, idolatry is generally at the heart of that sexual sin. Idolatry. Worshipping of the human body. And this is what we are warned against specifically in Romans. We're given over to worship of the human form. Now, being very religious, the people around us are willing to make great sacrifices for the sake of their God. What does God say? In vain do you rise up early and stay up late. This is one of the prime sacrifices that people make today, right? Staying up late, working late. And where do we see that most? Well, I think we see that most with money. There's frugality. And then there's making a God out of saving money. You, you understand. Even, even putting the most positive twist, the positive spin, I mean, being frugal, saving money is a wise and good thing, right? Working out and being healthy is a good thing, right? There's working hard and then there's loving money. Well, but he who does not work shall not eat, right? Correct. But you see, you can only have one master. So look around you. Look at the temptations. All the things that you're tempted to put your trust in, not, ju- not supposedly for salvation, Okay, because we're too Christian for that. And yet, you will put your faith in money for security, right? And yet, you will put your faith in working out for your health. You will put your faith in any number of things for the unique individual parts of life, which is exactly what the Greeks were doing. They had these unique individual parts of life that they said, oh yeah, this, this can help with that. This and this can help with that. And so it is with us today. So look at yourself. Look at the places where you're tempted and then ask yourself why and you'll see that it's because all around you people are worshiping that God. And you'll see how religious they are. We shouldn't be fooled into thinking that the nations don't have gods or that people aren't religious. They are. It's only a question of what their gods are. What are they willing to sacrifice for? Maybe many, many things. But the gospel deals with these gods very simply. All the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. And with that knowledge, and 
having your eyes open and recognizing there's idols, there's worship all around, then you are equipped to, to point out to people, I see that you are very religious. And to call them to put their faith in the one true God, the only one who is actually able to provide for their needs. The, the only one who is actually able to give them a wise wife. Right? You, you see all of these things all through the Bible that are promised by God, that he's the one who provides them, that he's the one who gives, that the hairs of our head are numbered by whom? By him. And so all of the things that we look to, all of the places where we are tempted to go after the various gods, those are the places where we need to not just be warned, but we need to be evangelistic. We need to tell people that it doesn't matter how much they work out, that their body will still be falling apart and that they will still die, they will still get old, but that God made the heavens and the earth. Well, how is that hopeful? How is that hopeful? Because there is a future. They are not just their body, and they know it. Do they want hope? Do they want forgiveness of sins? They may not. But God is at work, saving a people for himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.